uh, folks can find me on Twitter at, or excuse me, Twitter, hello, Instagram, um, at A underscore, oh no, sorry, the Twitter thing, good lord, it is, it's late, my brain is going, <laughs> Pete, edit this out. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming, rom-coms, and teen cinema. I am your co-host on this odyssey, Martha Sullivan, library manager and YA lit enthusiast, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I am Maren Higman, uh, adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast. And we are here today to discuss the hot off the presses, ha ha ha, see what I did there, Fire Island, which just dropped on Hulu about 12 minutes ago. So if you have not yet seen this movie, I suggest you pause the podcast and go watch it, uh, because we are going to be getting into all of the hairy little details. Um, Or if spoilers don't matter, you know, full steam ahead. Fire Island was written by Joel Kim Booster and directed by Andrew Ahn, and it stars Joel Kim Booster as Noah, Bowen Yang as Howie, Margaret Cho as Aaron, Conrad Ricamora as Will, James Scully as Charlie, Matt Rogers as Luke, Tomas Matos as Keegan, Torian Miller as Max, Nick Adams as Cooper, Zane Phillips as Dex, Michael Graceffa as Rice. And now we have gotten to the point in the IMDb cast list where I... Oh, and Aiden Wharton as Brayden. The <laughs> last one. <that> I... <laughs> uh, and a bunch of other people. A bunch of other really attractive, beautiful people. Fire Island is the story of Noah and his group of friends, who are all lovely gay men, vacationing for the week on Fire Island, which is a real-life queer destination uh, off the coast of Long Island. Uh, They typically stay at a house owned by Margaret Cho. Well, Margaret Cho's character, Aaron. And they find out that this summer is going to be their last summer because Aaron is broke and needs to sell her house. So in this very bittersweet moment, bittersweet week of vacation Noah decides that it is going to be his mission to get his friend Howie laid for vacation uh and once he does that he will be free himself to pursue hookups at his leisure uh things go awry when he and his friends meet Will and Charlie and their group of friends uh at a mixer one evening uh Will is Will and Noah are pretty much at loggerheads immediately, just like Charlie and Howie are almost instantly attracted. Uh, And then we are immediately plunged into a week's worth of shenanigans, romantic and platonic. And if the story reminds you at all of Pride and Prejudice, that's no accident. Um, Although I actually have theory, I have feelings about that also, and I would be very interested to hear your... Uh uh read on that because i got very strong sense and sensibility vibes from this movie um but either way we're looking at a jane austen or not jane austen uh yes jane austen yes jane Jane austen sorry i said jane austen and my brain went jane Eyre, and then i got very confused (laughs) just from top to bottom um we are looking at a very jane austen uh 
comedy of errors played out with a group of, uh, like I said at the top, very attractive gay men. Marin, how did you feel about this movie? Yeah, I enjoyed this movie very much. Um, I think that I was actually a little... So I'm surprised to hear you say that you got some sensibility vibes. Because this is actually a much closer adaptation of Pride and Prejudice than I was expecting. Um, it is actually fairly beat for beat. Um, there is almost, not entirely, they cut out, um, I would say they cut out the Lady Catherine de Berg plotline. Um, but in other ways, it is pretty much a one-to-one ratio in this adaptation. Um, oh, and they cut out the Mr. Collins. Those are the two big ones. Um, but they really only cut out those two chunks of the Pride and Prejudice plot. Otherwise, it really is, you could kind of track it. Like, oh, this is where Jane goes to Netherfield on a horse in the rain and gets sick at Netherfield. (laughs) You know, like, it was very, I was not expecting it to be so faithful. Well, and I'll tell you, I think the parts that pinged my sense and sensibility meter were the lack of Mr. Collins which is fine. Don't need it. Yeah, we don't um, need and Mr. The, the scene at the end where Charlie um, confesses his feelings for Howie after they steal a boat and ride it back in the mainland felt very similar to me to the scene in the movie of Sense and Sensibility when Hugh Grant confesses his love for Emma Thompson. Oh. But no, you're right. Like, it is very much a top-to-bottom Pride and Prejudice that See, I, I think just say, draws on. I get the vibes of, uh, oh my gosh, why am I completely blanking on their names? Um, bah, 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 Rosamund Pike and, um, oh my gosh, what is his name? Like, Simon something? Uh, in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, where he they're all lazing around in the house and he comes back and they all have to, like stuff all their books in various places and he like kneels down well and i think that the answer is probably that jane austen uses similar story beats not that all of her works aren't fabulous and original but there are i think there are some story beats that are a little similar across stories um but i very much enjoyed sorry by the way that was gonna bug me if i didn't Ah. know i knew it was a simon um yeah i very much enjoyed matt rogers in the younger sister kitty role yes (laughs) that made me laugh very much well and that they even had someone who was the equivalent to mary yeah because often kitty just gets excised because kitty really doesn't do anything in the story like it's fairly easy to excise kitty and mary and i appreciated that they really did have a kitty and mary (laughs) Um, and, and so side side question, real quick. Mm-hmm. In adaptations that cut out Kitty and Mary, how do they resolve? I mean, Dex is the name of the character in Fire Island, but like, how do they resolve the cad? Well, because who... that's all with Lydia. Like, Kitty and Mary are just kind of hanging around. They actually don't really have much to do in the plot. Um, so I've seen, I've seen several, I think the Lizzie Bennet diaries is one where they just whittle it down to the three sisters. 
Um, yeah, because you, you can have an adaptation where it's just, like, Jane, Elizabeth, and Lydia are central to the story. You can't, um, like, you can't get rid of Lydia because that's how the Wickham plot gets resolved. Um, okay, then I was mixing up Kitty with Lydia because Matt Rogers plays the character who sleeps oh, with Dex okay. in the Lydia role. Got it, got it. Yeah, and I did appreciate that, like, instead of, you know, fully going into it, it was just like, oh, yeah, like, I I appreciated that it was the very modern of, like, oh, yeah, this guy is a bad dude, he treated you wrong, we got receipts, like, you're out of here. Um, which I appreciated, being a resolution. Because I have seen, there are several, quote-unquote, sequels to Prime Prejudice that try to find a way to get rid of Wickham. Um, A Death at Pemberley being the best of them, um, which I, I do especially highly recommend. There's a really great adaptation of Death at Pemberley um, with Matthew Reese as Darcy, who maybe Matthew Reese is the best Darcy. This is one of my hot takes. Um, that feels scandalous for you to say, although I don't, I'm not familiar enough with Pride and Prejudice adaptations. I've only seen the one basically sure but that does feel a little scandalous (laughs) okay so the thing is is matthew reese is really good as darcy so anyway would 10 out of 10 would recommend uh death comes to primarily it's probably the only one of those i would recommend but many a successor because jane austen's works are in the public domain a lot of people try to make money off of them um by and they know there's a big automatic built-in fan base and so they try to write and sell uh, Prime Prejudice sequels, and oftentimes I saw one as a play actually with my mom, um, and oftentimes they try to just get rid of Wickham um, in various ways, and it's interesting because yeah, it is very unsatisfying that poor Lydia has to at sixteen get shackled to this terrible person. So I like that this adaptation just steered right away from that. Um, but I think, sorry, going back to my initial point, I, I think it surprised me that this adaptation, I think it does what, like, the best modernizations do in terms of it uh, kept the story beats, but it made the story beats make sense. And it, it really felt both, like, it took those universal dynamics, those character dynamics, but then also created them specifically for 2022. Because I think way too often, adaptations like this or modernizations do one of two things. Either they just use a few elements of the story and then insert a mostly modern original story like either they take a few of the bare bones and that's it um or what they do is it feels and i would say a modern persuasion that we watch would be one of these where it feels really forced and it doesn't feel natural that these situations are occurring um yeah this this movie i thought did a really good job at showing how universal the kind of themes and things that Jane Austen was writing with are. Yes. Because as you said, they don't mix up the story a whole lot, but it maps onto the dynamics and the story of these characters 
who are, you know, very modern, like none of the story be felt awkward. None of them felt contrived. It's just, this is a story of a bunch of people in a space having a lot of feelings and kind of how that plays out. And I don't think you have to mess with the formula a whole lot to make it still feel like very modern and relevant. Exactly. Well, and I think, I mean, it goes back to family dynamics still exist. Class like this. Yes. Class dynamics still exist. Um, falling and in love like, dynamics like this still exist. Like yeah. it. Like Pride and Prejudice, this is very much a class, a movie about class. The big conflict between Noah and Will starts because um, as they, as Noah, who is also our narrator throughout this movie, uh, points out at the very beginning, um, there are very kind of sharply distinguished boundaries between the men who vacation on this island and they describe themselves as trash and Noah and his friends are staying in a much nicer house, like up in the hills. And, you know, there, there's a very clear class distinction between these two groups of people. Um, you know, and Noah is kind of, Noah thinks that Will is put off by him and his friends from the very beginning, which makes him be put off with Will from the very beginning. Um, well, I lost track of what I was saying. Basically, well, class divides exist. Well, and also financial insecurity, because I think that the script is very smart to graph on, you know, the equivalent of we cannot inherit this house from our father because we are women. We will basically be left with almost nothing when he dies. And so our livelihood depends on us getting married. Um, I, I think they were very smart to graph that storyline onto our friend has to sell this house that has been our sanctuary for a week every summer. Um, and she, she is having, like, it, it's very smart of graphing a very 2022 financial problem to create that same feeling of financial instability. Um... Because, I I mean, none of these men would be able to afford to buy the house from her. Like, we, we understand that pretty instantly. Exactly. So, I, I think there's that good sense of, we have this thing and it will be gone. Um, so, I think, yeah, I think it's a very smart decision to set up that financial instability this particular way. I also thought that it was kind of hilarious how well the like balls and dances and events maps onto the um, like going out rituals of Fire Island, all of which are actual things. I'm actually reading a book that is a history of Fire Island oh, cool. as a like, queer destination, like queer destination. Um, and one of the first things they talk about are like the tea, the the tea party, the traveling like bar hop and all of those things. So like they don't even have to make up the rituals. They just 
align very well with the like dances and social rituals that Jane Austen was already utilizing. Yeah, and because I think those group social dynamics still are at play, whether you're in Netherfield Ballroom in 1812 or you're at a Fire Island Club in 2022. I think that you still have that, ooh, someone overhears something they weren't supposed to. Or you still have the, ooh, this one person, this friend group likes this new person, but everybody else in the friend group isn't so sold on them. Like, those things still happen. And so I think that's why, yeah, I was shocked. I did not think that you were going to be able to track, like, oh, wow, initial ball. Oh, the Netherfield ball. I mean, (laughs) it was, like, I could literally... Be like, oh, that's that plot B. Okay, yeah, and I, I kind of, I didn't think about how they were going to do the balls. So when it became these party nightclub, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That feels like the same. There were a lot more drugs in this movie than I feel like Jane <laughs> Austen was kind of right. r- working with. <laughs> and sex. And I have to say, I appreciate it. I feel like... And and I am thinking about, oh my gosh, what is that Christmas one I've already forgotten with Kristen Stewart? Oh, The Happiest Season? The Happiest Season. Like, I appreciate that this movie was not afraid to show sex. Because I feel like some of the other queer rom-coms we've watched before really kind of shy away from it. I think that has a couple, I think that's a down to a couple of things. Um, I'm not sure about the director without looking him up, but I would be shocked if he was not a queer man. I know Joel Kim Booster is gay, and most of the actors in this are also gay. So I think, I, I feel like having a predominantly queer creative team um, feels like maybe they were less inhibited about showing because this this felt very authentic to me like it felt very true to experiences that these people may have actually like lived yeah um and i i think it's probably because it is um yeah. i would be yeah so i i also appreciated that like this movie is not afraid of showing you makeouts it's really not afraid of showing you nudity or um sex or any of that and yeah it it gave it a very grounded feeling um which yeah i had a lot of fun with i will i guess spoiler alert i really liked this movie um i thought it was super fun i thought it was extremely uh i just thought it was a delightful viewing experience and i watched it um when i was feeling very very crappy on Monday, I'm getting over a, a cold, and so this movie kept me company in bed on Monday when I was homesick. Um, okay. Yeah. Five out of five. Almost no notes. I right? really enjoyed it. I know. I was telling Pete, I was like, this might be one of the episodes where we don't have a ton to talk about, because it's a good movie, and I think I'm going to go out on a limb and guess Martha liked it, too. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um, But I think I mean, I still, I think there's a lot to talk about. I, I actually could talk for quite some time about the use of the Braden running joke. So the group of boys led by Noah and Howie 
show up at this, they get invited to a house party by Charlie to the house that he and Will and their friends are staying at. And they show up and I believe it's Brayden um, meets them on the stairs and is like, can I help you? Oh, yeah. Which becomes how he meets Noah every single time Noah <laughs> goes to the house. To the point where Noah is like, I just saw you. What are you talking about? I laughed every single time. <laughs> yeah. That runner was, I thought, A plus perfect. That was very good. Well, maybe that's the closest equivalent we got to Lady Catherine. But, um, yeah, and I thought it was very good, like, just portraying. And I, I think there was a good, I, I appreciate there were a couple other nice well, not nice, but I think there were a couple other really good depictions of that, you know, not-so-subtle classism of, um, I think Brayden, didn't Brayden make a point of being like, oh, yeah, I work for whatever law firm. You know, Will works for a high-power law firm in L.A., which turned out not to be true. Um, yes. But, like, made a point of, like, advertising his job, saying, hey, I'm this. Oh, you're just... Just a nurse. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I appreciate it. Just like this movie does not shy away from sex, it also does not shy away from classism or racism. Uh, one of the very first things that Noah says to us, I don't, or Howie, I think, when they're on the boat going over to the island, they're all kind of making fun of the sort of intrinsic group dynamic rules. Um that are inherent to the the culture the people that frequent fire island and it's like no fats no femmes no asians mm -hmm. is the missive um and i know that racism and um fat shaming are both pretty big problems in the gay community um i I feel like I should preface this by saying that I am a white cisgendered female, uh, a white straight cisgendered female, and anything that I have to say about the gay community, Asian or otherwise, is based on things that I have absorbed from pop culture and podcasts that I listen to and other people who are far more knowledgeable about that. So that's the big disclaimer that I'm putting on everything that I say <laughs> for this episode. Um, but I appreciated that the movie is really honest about um, kind of what these men are dealing with, even when they go on vacation. Like, Howie's whole thing is... You know, he, he struggles with body image, particularly when he puts himself next to Noah, who has, like, is ridiculously cut, and Howie is not, and they're both extremely attractive men, but Howie can't help but feel like Noah has distanced himself from Howie by working on his body the way that he has. And that's a conversation that they have late in the game when they're both being very honest about their feelings. And I appreciated watching that dynamic play out on screen in and amongst the other like more romantic comedy shenanigans i feel like the emotional core of this movie is really honest um and very touching at the end of the day yeah and i think what a choice also one other thing to say like what a choice to cast bowen yang as like the quote-unquote Maybe this is a pun. I don't know. Feel free to cut it if this does not work. But the quote unquote straight man, um, in terms of 
you know, he is because obviously Bowen Yang is known for being on SNL. He's known for being outlandish. He his comedic persona is very strong, very loud. So I think at first when I realized, oh, he's playing the Jane character, I thought he was going to be playing the Lydia character. Um, but pretty quickly when I realized that he was playing the Jane character, I was like, what a choice! Because I do not associate this type of character with Bowen Yang, and I thought he did a great job. Um, he really yeah, he's. Sorry. I was going to say he toned it down. He was very sweet. Yeah, I found him to be very sincere. Um, I I don't know how. So I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. It is a personality problem of mine. <laughs> um, but Bowen Yang and Matt Rogers do a show together called Less Culturistas, which is a very funny kind of survey of pop mm-hmm. culture. And... They are both very funny on that, but also um, very sincere because at the end of the day, it's about things that they really love. So I loved getting to see both of them in this movie. Um, It was kind of like, I don't know, it made it feel more like I was on vacation with them. Like, Mm. like I got to come, I got to travel (laughs) with them and have this experience um, it's that whole like dangers of parasocial relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did really appreciate this as, um, you know, something a little bit different for Bo and Yang that I thought he was incredibly effective at, uh, and I really enjoyed watching. Same. Yeah, it was it was a nice playing against type for him, I think. But he also still gets to have very good comedic timing. Like when he just falls into the pool. Yeah. Again, I laughed very hard. <laughs> I did too. I did too. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that was it. It's always fun. You know, there's always that Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine moment where you're just like, oh, hey, like they're still using. They're a comedic persona, but they're doing something a little different. This is great. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with the work of Joel Kim Booster? I am not. Yeah, he is somebody that I mostly know from, like, being a personality on the internet. Um, but I was really glad... That he had the chance to make this. I think that this was a passion project for him. Okay. Um, I am looking up his IMDb credits right now. So I can make sure that I'm not telling tales out of school. Yeah, so he has some TV writing credits. But this is his first feature length film. And I think that you can tell. I mean, we've kind of touched on it already. Just the, the sincerity um that comes through on this it feels like a very personal project and i'm really glad that he got to make it yeah well and i think yeah i think that it um you know because the happy season was also on hulu so i hope that hulu is going to continue to make this space for you know queer creators to get to tell stories 
Because, yeah, and I think there's been a good amount of buzz about this. I feel like this movie has gotten a lot of conversation. So, hopefully, that means that it will open even more doors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the, the reviews are, I think, o- pretty overwhelmingly positive. Um, I, yeah, more of this. Yeah. <laughs> Be very, well, uh, very I, into watching more, more in this vein. Exactly. Well, and I will it use this. Me... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, keep going. I was going to say, this will also, I feel like this is a good, I get to talk about my bugbear lately of adaptations that aren't really adaptations. And this is a little (laughs) spurred by Bridgerton, but also very spurred by a new trailer for a new version of Persuasion, which is also a Jane Austen story dropped the other week. Um, And there has been an immediate backlash because the tone of the per- the trailer is very different than the tone of the book and it suggests that the movie is going to try and take more make it more of a funny pride and prejudice vibe and that's very much not the vibe of persuasion um so that double made me appreciate something that is faithful because i think i don't know i just get a little tired of the very chiding Oh, you want an adaptation to actually show the thing you enjoyed. That's childish. Um, whereas I think, and I, I especially feel this with Bridgerton too, because there were some scenes I was so looking forward to seeing, and it was so frustrating to be like, this was a better scene in the book, and you guys just decided not to use it. Okay, cool. Um, and oftentimes I do feel like adaptation choices are just made to based on production schedules or made to make something that the adapters think is going to look better. I don't know. It's been a little bugbear of mine recently that I feel like there's this whole cultural conversation of like, well, of course, adaptions have to change and they don't have to be faithful. And you're just silly for like wanting something resembling the, the material that you loved. Um, yeah, my feeling about adaptations has always been that preserving events is less important than preserving tone. And I, I feel like fire Island gets the balance really right. Yeah. Like it, it takes the plot beats of the story and hangs them on a very modern skeleton. Um, in a way that really works for me. Like I, I didn't watch it. It wasn't like I was sitting there with a, and we hit that, and we hit that, and we hit that. But when you step back, you can see the... I guess it's not hanging it on the skeleton of a modern story. It's a modern story hung on the bones of the original... Uh, of the original Jane Austen. Yeah. And um, I think this is just a good proof point, though, of, like... they do keep the bones like they really i fully went into this expecting this to be a like modern persuasion situation and we were just gonna see like some of the situations and some of the same characters um but yeah this has been a bugbear of mine lately of just 
I want to see the thing I like on the screen. And why must we make changes that make the material weaker? Um, and I think that's partly why there's been this huge uh, backlash to this Persuasion trailer is because it, it really changes the tone. Because um, Persuasion is not a funny book. It's not a comedy like this. It's not a frothy comedy of manners. It's a very serious, pretty angsty book. Um, and I, th- I think there oh, have been weird. a lot... What's up? I was just going to say, I haven't bothered to watch the trailer because I've already heard so much negative feeling about it that I'm like, well, I'm never going to watch this unless Marn makes me, so... <laughs> I mean, I will probably hate watch it. Let's be real. But yeah, I think to me it felt very validating. And watching this also felt very validating of like, yeah, like, I don't know. Because I I feel like especially with Bridgerton, there was a lot of, well, you silly book fans who just want it to be like the book. Um, And it's like, yes, in fact, I do want it to be like a book and the book. And that's not completely wild like obviously some things have to change like i recognize that but sometimes i like to see the story i like on screen um so i felt very validated by seeing this and then also seeing the reaction to that persuasion trailer just being like oh okay good it's not just me (laughs) i'm not yeah because i feel Um, like there's yeah there's just been so much finger wagging for so long of like you silly book fans Anyway, well, that's been that's, a recent bugbear, Mike. That's so dumb, too, because, like, you want the book fans on your side. Like, they're who you're... Like, more people will probably watch a Netflix show than will read... Well, no, that's not true. I was going to say more people will watch a Netflix show than will read a book. It is true for comics that more people will see a Marvel movie than we'll read the comic that it's based on. But also you would think that they would be interested in bringing their fans, like bringing the fan of a book into the movie should be an easy sell. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Yeah. I think if you are alienating fans of the source material, you have gone awry. Um, and honestly, to me, that's what's so baffling about Bridgerton is it's just like, you didn't have to change so much. And in fact, you made the story weaker. And then, like, then you're going to be annoyed at people who wanted the story (laughs) on the screen. Yeah, I watched the first season of Bridgerton and was like, that was enough. That yeah. was fine. Yeah, that's probably fair. I don't know. And I just was a little more annoyed because the second book of Bridgerton is one of my absolute faves. And it just, yeah, for me, it just poked this bugbear of, I don't know, this probably started with my trust issues from the Ella Enchanted adaptation with Anne Hathaway and Hugh Dancy. <laughs> if you say bugbear one more time, I think Wizards of the Coast is going to come after us. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Anyway, we can. What did we, how did we feel about the chemistry between Will and Noah? Um, it made sense to me. I think, um, 
yeah, I think that was a, a believable dynamic. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Actually, I thought that they were both really good at showing how it can be kind of confusing to be like, I don't like you, but I think you're really hot, and that makes everything very confusing. <laughs> um, I also thought that the actor who played Will, um, Rickamora, something Rickamora, um, um, did my MTP page go? Conrad Rickamora. Um, I thought he did a very good job of making it clear to the audience that he was into Noah pretty much from the jump. Mm -hmm. um, and that Noah is misinterpreting a lot of his signals because Will is just a very like more taciturn kind of guy. <laughs> um, I thought they both did very good face acting yes. with all of that. And listeners will know how much I love a good acting face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think they did a good job showing us, the viewer, that, oh, clearly this is not coming from haughtiness. Clearly he's into you. But also making it believable that Noah would be like, oh, well, he's just doing that because he's being a jerk, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, and Noah's whole deal through the movie is kind of misinterpreting the signals that he's getting from people around him. Yeah. Which, I mean, again, I think going back, not to harp on this too many times, but I think it does really show just how universal that character is. Absolutely. Any final thoughts or things we want to touch on in Fire Island? Oh, we didn't talk about Margaret Cho. That was fun to see Margaret Cho. We didn't. Always good to see Margaret Cho. I thought she was great. I thought she was a really good... Um, like consistently comedic counterpoint to the occasionally very like to the emotional beats of like Noah and Howie's relationship. Yeah, um, and she was just like a fun busybody, and that's always fun. Yeah, I I really liked the scene where she sent them grocery shopping for the dinner <laughs> party that they invite Will and yes. Charlie and everyone to. Um. Oh my gosh! Yes. And that house definitely looks like somewhere I would enjoy spending a week of my summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good good casting, Margaret Cho. I also love that they made it that she was their work mom from working yes. at brunches together. Yes, they, they all met working at the same brunch place. Yeah. Which I loved. I, yeah, I was very fond of that. Yeah, I, I thought the casting all around was really great. I thought that all of the actors had really great chemistry. I thought they were incredibly believable as a friend group. I would totally believe you if you told me that that whole group of actors, like, hangs out on the regular. <laughs> yes. She also had an incredible collection of kimonos. Oh my god, so good. Final thoughts? Um, I think that was it. Did you have any final thoughts? I did not. Watch this movie. It's great. I might watch it again this weekend. <laughs> 
it is it is the film equivalent of a beach read i think not just because it takes place on a beach but it has that very like frothy summer feel but with enough of an emotional core to feel like you have eaten at the end of it Mm. yeah What would you recommend to our listeners for after they have enjoyed Fire Island? Um, I would recommend, and I maybe have recommended once from the series before, but I don't think I've recommended this one, but I was going to recommend Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev, um, which is a retelling you, of persuasion. You absolutely have I did. recommended I thought- these on the show before. I thought I because did Pride I and Prejudice and other, or I thought I did Incense and Sensibility. No, maybe I don't know. I just remember talking about the author and saying I'm going to go look her up, and then forgetting immediately once we got off the call. Oh, shoot. I want to read her books very badly. Okay. Oh shoot! All right. So well, maybe this, maybe this is no, a okay. repeat res- okay. recommendation, but yeah, it is a. I think it also nails this balance of, and it's actually a less. Uh, less faithful adaptation, but I think this it nails this balance of getting the tone of the Austin right while also modernizing it. Um, and it is about Ashna who wants to save her restaurant. Um, and she is asked to join Cooking with the Stars, and the man she is paired up with is Rico, a famous uh soccer player, and also her ex. Um. And, yeah, it's pretty great. Martha, what would you recommend? I would recommend, so when I was thinking about what I wanted to recommend, there were two kind of qualities that I zoomed in on. Classic literature, but make it gay. So I am recommending the book Great by Sarah Benincasa, which is a lesbian retelling of The Great Gatsby. It is a contemporary retelling of The Great Gatsby that takes place in the Hamptons with a social circle of teen girls. It is very entertaining. Uh, Sarah Benincasa is a great writer and a great Twitter follow. Um, But yeah, I love love a gay retelling of a classic lit story. Mm. And great fits the bill. Cool. Uh, But is it uh, the find, replace, gritty version? the great gatsby it is not because truly that is the adaptation of classic literature (laughs) we all deserve more gritty yeah this one is a little bit if you took um what is the name of that book series and then tv series gossip girl Yes, exactly. How did you know? This is know, the Great cheese. Gatsby run through a Gossip Girl lens, and okay. again, make it gay. Okay. So, I mean, I hate the Great Gatsby with the fire, fire of a thousand suns, but really, okay. so much. I don't think I knew that about you. Oh, I hate it so much. Oh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know that as a Minnesotan, I am technically not allowed to hate anything by F. Scott Fitzgerald, but I hate it so. Well, let's not go that far. (laughs) So we 
Oh, we will be back in a couple of weeks where we will be talking about the brand new Amazon Prime series, The Summer I Turned Pretty, which is based off of the book series by our dear friend of the pod, Jenny Han. She doesn't know that she's our friend, but she is. <laughs> uh, and until then, if you are looking for more content, you will have to look into our backlog because the other show that I do, Did You Do Your Homework, is on summer break. So there will not be a new episode of that next week. We will be back in the fall. Uh, but we do have a deep uh, archive of episodes that I hope that you enjoy listening to. Uh, you can follow our show on social media at DYDYH podcast. Uh, that is the feed that again, we share with the other show that I do with Marin's husband, Pete. You can follow me personally online at magical Martha at all the places, including tinyletter.com backslash magical Martha, which I had not updated since January. And I finally did because I watched Spider-Man No Way Home and I had 14 discreet questions that I needed to ask after watching that movie. So my most recent newsletter issue is all of the questions that I had after watching the new Spider-Man movie. Spoilers for the new Spider-Man movie. Mm. Marin, where can people find you on the internet? Um, Folks can find me on Twitter at A underscore star underscore danced where i mostly tweet about romance novels these days so feel free to give me a follow if that interests you absolutely that is all for us today we will be back in a couple of weeks as i said to discuss the summer i turned pretty until then just remember that we love you And until then, just remember that we love you. Nope, going to take that one again. Sorry, Pete. (laughs) I didn't say it the right way, so I had to say it again. Aww.